Welcome to the podcast of Crew in Southeast Ohio. I'm Chad Helmer, and I'll be your host for this session of the podcast. We're grateful that you've tuned in. Crew is a caring community passionate about connecting people to Jesus Christ. And today we're continuing something a little different from uh, what we've been doing. Uh, something we began last week is we're looking at seminars, opportunities to grow in your faith, because two weeks ago we hosted our one-day fall conference in Logan, Ohio. And many students from uh, the campuses of Southeast Ohio joined us for a day of worship and teaching and great community and a lot of fun. But at that conference, students were given the opportunity to attend two of four different seminars. And so over the next four weeks, we did one last week, uh, we'll do one for the next three weeks actually, we'll be featuring the presenters of those seminars to talk more about their topic and to present their content to our listeners here on the podcast. And so today we're excited to have with us Ellie McAllister. Ellie, welcome. Hi. Awesome. Ellie, glad to have you with us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you're on staff with Crew. How long have you been on staff? Yes, I've been on staff for about six years. One of those years was as an intern at my alma mater, Ohio State. Okay, go Buckeyes. That's great. Yes, so, um, so graduate from Ohio State. What did you study when you were a student there? I studied chemistry and I have a minor in religious studies. Okay, that's great. And uh, for our listeners, so Ellie's been on staff um, for those years now, but also uh, grew up as a staff kid. Ellie, your parents yeah. are on staff with a ministry of crew called Athletes in Action, right? Yes. Yeah. Tell so us. Can... Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I just grew up uh, very in the crew world. I went to a lot of staff conferences as a kid. I have a lot of memories out in Colorado. That's great. You beat me to it. I was going to say, tell us what that was like. So I'm sure yeah. that was a unique childhood, but a lot of fun at the same time. So yeah. awesome. Well, Ellie, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, Ellie's seminar at our fall conference was on the topic of biblical justice and what that is. So Ellie, tell us what comes to mind when you think about justice. Uh -huh. So usually I have a couple pictures that come to mind when I just hear the word justice generally. So I might think of a court, you know, with a judge in a robe with a gavel or our justice system. Um, or I might think also of social justice, which feels a little bit different than the picture of a judge with a gavel. Um, but for me, when I think about justice, I feel like a little bit of discomfort. Um, and especially when I start looking at the Bible and how justice looks in the Bible, um, I, there are just moments when I see God being a just God, and sometimes it's hard for me to understand or reconcile a picture of a just God with the picture that I have in my head of him. Um, and a lot of times, too, I might feel some conviction or even defensiveness because I see the way that justice is painted in the scriptures. and. Um, it's hard not to realize that my life has fallen far short of God's standard of justice. Hmm. But at the same time, um, I've learned to really love that the God of the Bible is a just God who um, we can depend on to carry out ultimate and perfect justice. But that has been just a really long process in my life coming to terms with a just God. That's that's interesting. And I think it's, um, I appreciate the honesty because I think right away for probably a lot of our listeners, there's just a level of discomfort that we can mm -hmm. think about, you know, and for a variety of reasons. One, it can be the, 
um, the way we might feel complicit in injustices. It might be mm -hmm. the way we've heard other people talk about justice. It might be about our larger discourse about how justice uh, is discussed. It, it can make us feel uncomfortable. So I, mm -hmm. I admire you acknowledging that. But um, but your seminar in particular is on the topic of biblical justice. What, is, what does justice look like in the Bible? Yeah, so uh, before I jump into a couple different pictures of justice in the Bible, I have to give credit where credit is due. A lot of what I'm going to talk about today is at least inspired by um, a video put out by the Bible Project. Um, and they're great. They put out videos on different um, books of the Bible, different topics, different words in the Bible. Um, and so a lot of what I'm going to say would sound really familiar if you've seen their Bible um, project video on biblical justice. So I highly recommend checking that out. Um, but in the Bible, we see several different kinds of justice. And one of those is called retributive justice. And so retributive justice is kind of what you think about when you think about karma, like evil is punished and good is rewarded. What goes around comes around. Um, or if I, if I did a crime, Batman could come and and beat me up and there would be a sense of justice to that. <laughs> and so retributive justice is a really important attribute of God's character. And so um, as we talk about uh, the second kind of justice I'm going to mention in a second, I just don't want us to forget that retributive justice is a really important attribute of who God is. And if we don't see God as a God who carries out true retributive justice, uh, then we won't be seeing God accurately. But the second kind of justice is actually mentioned a lot more frequent, frequently in the scriptures, um, and that's called restorative justice. And it's certainly, it's not mutually exclusive with retributive justice. I think as we look at justice in the scriptures, um, we'll see how, how they connect and how similar they are. But since uh, restorative justice is a much more prominent picture of justice in the Bible, and I think it's possibly in the West the picture of justice we miss out on when we read the Bible. Hmm. Um, I think likely because of our cultural lens. Um, that's the kind of justice that I'm going to focus on today is restorative justice. That's great. I think that's really helpful, and it's helpful to make the distinction. I think especially retributive justice, um, there's a sense in which I think about it, and I think, well, this is um, this is good. We want bad guys that are, we want bad guys to be punished, right? We can imagine uh -huh. a whole, a whole series of bad guys from history, um, where we think, okay, retributive justice is a good thing and we'd be disappointed without it. Uh, even mm -hmm. though sometimes that, that's the kind that can make us uncomfortable. Um, but it sounds like we're focusing on restorative justice. Tell me about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, for any of this to make sense, we have to go back to the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And when God creates humans in Genesis 1:26, God says, let us, he's talking uh, to the members of the Trinity, let us make man in our image. And so when God creates people, he endows each of them with the image of God. Um, sometimes you'll hear the term the Imago Dei, which is just the Latin translation of image of God. Um, and that means, you know, a thousand different things and part of being created in the image of God means that God gives people special dignity and special value so that each person is created equal and has a right to be treated with justice and fairness. And this is the difference between humans and animals, one of many probably, but humans are given authority over everything else on earth. God tells humans specifically to fill the earth and subdue it. 
And so humans are intended to rule over the earth, to steward creation with God's perfect sense of justice. And so today we see that in a few different ways. We can see the image of God in individuals, but also in every people group and culture in the world. There are beautiful ways that each culture uniquely expresses the attributes of God and worships him. And that also means um, that there are unique ways in which each culture doesn't get that quite right, uh, but we're jumping ahead. So in Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve decide that they don't want to rule by God's justice. They want to define for themselves good and evil. And so here we see sin enter the world, and this is the root of all the injustice that we see today. But we can't just blame Adam and Eve for all of our problems. The root of all injustice is when we redefine good and evil to benefit ourselves at the expense of others, taking advantage of the vulnerable. And sometimes individuals do this, sometimes families do this, institutions, societies, even whole nations contribute to this injustice. And so what restorative justice is, is simply the reversal of that, hmm. <laughs> identifying when and where people are not being treated with dignity as though they are created in the image of God and restoring people's equality before, equality with one another before God. So once you start looking for restorative justice in the Bible, you'll find it everywhere. And so I'm going to trace just one thread in the Bible to give us a picture of restorative justice. Um, and hopefully if we can figure it out, there might be more questions um, in the info section of the podcast, more examples of places in the Bible where we can see restorative justice. So first of all, in Genesis 15, we see God make a promise to a guy named Abraham. And he tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a family and your people are going to be a picture of my perfect sense of justice to the world. So God says, I'm going to bless you and your people will treat one another according to God's image in each person with right relationships and dignity. And through you, the nations will be blessed as well. So you will be a part of bringing restorative justice to the nations too. And so many years later, this family of God, um, so God kept his promise to Abraham. He turned him into a nation, a, fam a family. And this family of God actually ends up enslaved as refugees in Egypt. And they are oppressed. They are not treated by the nation of Egypt in a way that acknowledges their value as God's image bearers. And so God, in his justice, confronts Egypt's leader, Pharaoh, through Moses and rescues his people from slavery, restoring their dignity. And so God carries out restorative justice for his people. He gives them their own land and their own laws, which give special attention to the just and dignified treatment of the vulnerable among them. So the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. And he tells them to remember that they were once the vulnerable ones in Egypt. But many years after that, when God's people, Abraham's family, are in the position of power, they begin to treat the vulnerable among them the same way that they were treated as slaves in Egypt. And so for some examples in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, we see God's people taking bribes, neglecting the orphans and widows. They follow lies. They oppress their workers. They shed innocent blood. In fact, it gets so bad in Second Kings, we see them sacrificing their children to foreign gods. And so this 
is a tragic picture, but it shows that we all, whether we are God's people or not, have the capacity and are guilty of committing and perpetuating injustice against the most vulnerable whenever we find ourselves in the position of privilege. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. And I think that's a great example of um, of restorative justice. You know, walking through this, thinking about the way God has set up uh, or intended a just society um, and then how he goes about writing it when it's no longer been made, uh, when it's no longer just, when injustice is present. It was, I was just looking, Ellie, too, because I think one of the things that's fascinating you're talking about, um, uh, one, of, one of the things that's really interesting to me, I, one, of my, one of my interests, um, theologically, I guess, is uh, thinking about what it means for God to hear. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that the Israelites, when they're in Egyptian captivity, they cry out and God hears them in their oppression, mm-hmm. in this unjust situation. Um, but then like you're saying in Exodus 22, he goes on and he warns them and he says, do not mistreat the, the foreigner who's among you, because just as I heard your cries in Egypt, I will hear the cries of those people you oppress. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so you get this picture that God cares about the, the justice of his, you know, this community, this family that he's established, but he also cares about how those who are not part of that community are treated. And so mm-hmm. it's, um, so it's, it's really fascinating to me. I, I, I love this. So what happens to God's people once they're not representing God's sense of justice to the world? What happens then when, when that starts to break down? Yeah. So this story actually becomes a pattern in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is kind of like a huge downward spiral where God rescues his people. He restores justice. And then they begin to oppress and mistreat the vulnerable among them. And God confronts them. You know, he sends prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel to say, stop that. (laughs) You know, you're God's Mm -hmm. people. Your job is to restore, to live out God's sense of justice. And time and time again, they don't listen. Mm -hmm. And so God shows them what it's like to be on the side of the oppressed. And so often God's people find themselves conquered by other nations or exiled out of their land and they become the refugees, those without power living in another nation. Uh, And just kind of like you mentioned, they cry out to God and he restores them again. And over and over and over again, this cycle happens. You know, Mm -hmm. God restores justice and then they mistreat the vulnerable and then God confronts them with prophets and they don't (laughs) listen and then they get exiled and then God rescues them um, over and over this downward spiral. And so we, yeah, we see this pattern of injustice and mistreatment and an inability to live out God's standard of justice. And it builds this like feeling of angst, like, will we ever be able to break out of this cycle? Mm -hmm. Who's going to come in and rescue us from our own injustice? And so this is when we meet Jesus. And so he is a man with very little privilege, according to the world. You know, he's a Jewish man living under the oppression of the the Roman Empire, um, but who has God's power to subdue the earth, right? He can command the wind and the waves and they listen to him. And he is the only man who perfectly, instead of using his power to take advantage of others, set it aside to restore justice, to treat every sinful man and woman as bearers of God's image. And so in Luke 4, at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus walks into a synagogue. He opens the scroll of Isaiah, one of the prophets I mentioned before. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me 
to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so you can hear some of the, the themes of restorative justice in mm. that. And he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Um, and so Jesus is saying, I'm the one who is going to break the cycle of repression and restore justice to God's image bearers. Thank goodness. <laughs> and so God walked, um, Jesus walked um, into the religious system of his day, um, which was marked by all of these injustices, you know, abuse of power, mistreatment of the vulnerable, mm -hmm. rampant religious hypocrisy, and he flipped the whole system upside down. Mm -hmm. So in the kingdom of God, he, he says time and time again, the last will be first and the first will be last. And so by the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has kind of leveled the playing fields before the cross. And so one of the things he does, he invites everyone, regardless of how, how much power in this world they do or do not have, to be part of his new family, the family of God, which is just like the family of Abraham, right? This picture of God's perfect sense of justice to the world as we treat one another with dignity as bearers of the image of God and bring restorative justice to the nations. And he gives us the infinite power of the Holy Spirit to make that possible. This is this is awesome. Um, uh, I love this picture because it reminds us that we're kind of wrapped up in this as the people mm -hmm. of God, as the church, um, as those who have said Jesus, um, the one who's come to restore justice. He's my Lord. He's the one I submit to. He's you know in charge of my life, and so so we're wrapped up in all of this too. Uh, you know this this. Uh, the questions of justice and injustice because of our association with the one who's come to bring justice, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so where do you where do you see or not see restorative justice happening today? Where where do where are your you know help us see those places and help us think about it, you know, insofar as we're caught up in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in in the entrance of Jesus into the world, uh, you kind of expect this like. Uh, I don't know, the the exciting part of the story, like finally we have this hope. Um, but it's a little disappointing because I look around today and I see this same downward spiral that God's people were stuck in thousands of years ago. Hmm. And so God's family, the church, we are just as guilty as anyone else. And in some cases more of perpetrating injustice. And even though I know it certainly doesn't capture the whole history of the church or the ways that we have lived into this calling, because those certainly do exist, but our history as the church is marred by colonization, by racism, by Christians treating others as not fully human, and even by indifference, you know, simply not seeing when and where people are not being treated with the dignity that an image bearer has a right to. And I want to be careful to say, like, I am personally convicted by this. This isn't just a problem out there in the church or the world. Um, this is a problem within my own heart because it's not hard for me to think of ways that I didn't use my privilege to restore the dignity of others or that I even benefited intentionally or unintentionally from the oppression of others. Hmm. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I think about the way that um, just because we're, the church and just because we've uh, declared Jesus as our Lord, um, 
it, it doesn't mean that we're not blind to some of the, these things. And so there's the uh -huh. issue of blindness that you lay, you know, that you label. Um, but then it's not just blindness, right? Because there's, it doesn't mean that my heart is now perfectly pure, that I'm ab absolved of any malice, uh, that there's, there, there are still ways in which we can contribute even knowingly through our own shame to these kinds of things. So, so what's the solution? How do we, how do we start to think about getting out of this mess, even as, as believers and followers of Jesus? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things we can do is listen to uh, the prophets, which God sent to his people thousands of years ago when they found themselves in the same cycle. And so we can listen to what they said. Um, and one of the things they said is lament, uh, mm -hmm. to just be grieved at the state of our hearts and our families and our societies. Uh, you know, there's a whole book called the Book of Lamentations written by the prophet Jeremiah who um, in, in his own uh, prophetic book, the book of Jeremiah in verse 614, he says, speaking God's words to his people, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Hmm. And I just think that verse is so poignant. Like mm -hmm. uh, it's pointing out that they haven't, uh, they haven't addressed the real problem. And so I think, in order to do that, we have to see the tragedy and the damage of injustice and lament it without feeling a need to minimize or to justify it. Hmm. And the second thing that the prophet said um, is to repent. And the word repent, it simply means to acknowledge and to turn back to God from our sin. And it's never too late to turn around. Uh, it's never too late to repent. And this is the same message actually that Jesus had when he stepped onto the scene. The announcement of his kingdom was always repent and believe the kingdom of God, this upside down kingdom of God is at hand. And the third one, it's really practical. It might kind of fit into this idea of repentance. Um, but the Bible project says that restorative justice is courageously making other people's problems my problems. Hmm. Um, which is hard. <laughs> so to even know what other people's problems are, we have to get close. We have to get proximal to people. Um, we need to step into places where we might feel uncomfortable, where we might need, uh, where we might be a minority. Um, and we need to get close side by side with diverse people so we can learn what their problems are and courageously start to make their problems our problems. Hmm. And lastly, we anticipate the kingdom of God. And so we live in this time uh, that I call, I didn't coin this, but I call it the already but not yet, um, where the kingdom of God is here today. You know, Jesus brought it with him. Um, and so God has given us the power to participate in bringing his upside down restorative kingdom to earth today, along with the guarantee that someday God will fully bring heaven to earth. We will experience a society where restorative justice is fully carried out. And so there will be a day when every tribe, nation, and tongue, a beautiful mosaic of God's family, will worship God together. And it says that in Revelation, nations and kings will bring their splendor, their beautiful expressions of God's image into the kingdom. And finally, with every single human who is covered by the blood of Jesus, will be treated and will treat others with the dignity that God has bestowed in us by creating us in his image. Mm, I love that picture. Just restored in a way that um, 
we're, we're reflecting God's image back to him in some way. Mm-hmm. That he's, we're created in his image, but now on this last day, uh, when the work of uh, the mission is complete, when God consummates his kingdom, that we're, um, uh, it, it's no longer marred or tainted by, by the sins of injustice, but there's mm-hmm. something more brilliant and more pure about it. So this is so helpful, Ellie. So lamenting, um, being willing to enter into and just grieve and be and, and be sad alongside some of the injustice and in, in, in some of it. And that means being aware of it, uh, repenting from it. And I think that um, requires some some honesty and some self-reflection, right? That we mm-hmm. that we're willing to say, okay, I'm I'm willing to to dive deep in my own heart and see where I've been complicit in this and and say that I, I want to change, that I want this to look differently. Um, but then, of course, uh, living in between Jesus' first and second coming. Remind, and I think about it, um, it. It's significant to me, you know, um, this is our first podcast recording in November. We're not quite to Advent yet. But I, when I think about Advent, I can't not think about Jesus' second coming when I think about his first. I think about um, what he accomplished in his first coming, but how I still long for restoration that's to come mm-hmm. and of course it'll never be perfect um you know we are we are going to see perfection and absolute justice this side of christ's second coming but tell us um what are some examples of what carrying out you know how we could contribute to um, god's plans of restorative justice today what does that look like mm-hmm. yeah so i'll give you two examples um one place that i saw restorative justice is in the non-governmental organizations uh, that we partner with who rescue women and children out of sex trafficking within the red light districts of Gateway. Um, Gateway is our partnership in a city in South Asia, which has a huge sex trafficking industry. Mm. And so part of the work of restorative justice, remember, is first identifying where injustice is happening. And so the men and women who, I mean, just sacrifice their lives to work for these NGOs see that the women and their children are not being treated as human beings endowed with the infinitely valuable image of God. And so they courageously enter in, they make other people's problems their problems. And so they work within the red light districts in close proximity with these women. And one, they share with them that they are infinitely valuable because they are created in the image of God. And so they share with them the hope of Jesus. And secondly, they work to persuade them out of the sex industry. So they teach women how to read a contract so they don't sign themselves over to something they don't know. They give them job skills so that they can enter into a new field. They provide them and their children housing and education. And they also do preventative work to help keep young girls from entering the industry in the first place. And one of the things that they've found is that poverty is one of the biggest driving factors of sex trafficking. And so helping families out of poverty also becomes an avenue through which they work to restore justice. And so that's one example. Another example that I'll give you. um, So one research study which came out recently, um, and I'll I'll try to see if we can put the study in the information Mm -hmm. at the bottom of the podcast. Um, So it came out recently and it shows that black newborns are significantly more likely to die when looked after by white doctors than by black doctors. And so remember part of the work of restorative justice is first identifying where injustice is happening. 
And so according to this study, there seems to be unjust favoritism by white doctors towards white babies that does not exist toward black babies. Hmm. And I would submit that probably most white doctors probably don't feel like they favor or want to favor white babies, but regardless of their intentions, the disparity apparently exists. Hmm. And so how could someone pursue restorative justice in this case? How could someone restore equal treatment of the image of God within black babies and their families? Um, there's a couple examples that I thought of. One, we could make it more accessible for black folks to become doctors. We could support them in that endeavor, make it possible. Um, two, we could help white doctors learn to identify and begin to root out any implicit bias in their treatment of patients. Uh, so we could include more multicultural training in medical school. Um, thirdly, we could make midwives and doulas accessible to black mothers to advocate in the hospitals on behalf of them and their babies. Hmm. Um, and there's, you know, a million examples of ways that we could pursue restorative justice in a case like this. Those are just a couple examples that I thought of. Um, but one thing I did want to note, like I know this application and restorative justice can feel like a very here and now thing. Like it's not the application that I think I heard growing up in church um, very often. And so as Christians, we often focus on on more eternal things, you know, heaven and hell. And, and that's good. You know, that is absolutely what we're called to do. But I think sometimes we focus on eternity at the expense of seeing people where they're at right now or empathizing with the human experience of life on this earth. Uh, which is incredibly important, mm -hmm. obviously. So absolutely, you know, we, we have to care about people's eternal destinies. So we're commanded in the Great Commission to tell the world about God's salvation in the hopes that whatever suffering or injustice that we experience in this life is temporary and will be abolished in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, this picture where restorative justice will actually be carried out in eternity. But at the same time, who we are as Jesus followers shouldn't be categorized into a spiritual corner of our lives, uh, right? We have to be um, in every area of our lives followers of Jesus. That's who we are. That's our identity. And so whether we find opportunity for restorative justice in a hospital or in a red light district or in a family or in a church or even within our own hearts, Restorative justice, wherever it is found, is the work of God. And so carrying out restorative justice today as part of God's family is a compelling way to create a community that people want to and feel like they can be a part of. That's um, so, so practical, Ellie. And I, <clears throat> I appreciate the practical, uh, both the example of what we're trusting God for in our partnership location in Gateway, but then I even love the... Um, I mean, you've, you've just modeled for us, I think, a, a kind of uh, spirit-led uh, imagination into sort of how can we begin to think creatively about, you know, addressing issues like the hospital study that you're referring to. Who knows what the right way is to, uh, to address a problem like that, but we can begin mm -hmm. to ask the spirit and say, how can I enter into this? Give me creative uh, wisdom to know how, how can I be a part of helping, you know, put an end to this kind of injustice because you're, I think one of the things that's fascinating, Ellie, you're so right. You're hitting on something that um, 
we're so inclined to, and I would say uh, guilty as charged, myself included, especially in uh, modern evangelicalism in North America, that when we think about, um, you know, we read through the book of Acts and we see a clear priority on the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of souls um, for, you know, for eternity. And yet at the same time, we see, we see uh, Peter and then Paul walking through their ministry, but being very much a part of meeting the physical needs, healing the sick. Um, you see these sorts of restorative miracles happening in the book of Acts at the same time. The two go together in a way that uh, I think we've been too quick to separate. And I, and I don't know about, uh, of course, I can't speak for anyone else, but I, I, I sometimes wonder if in my own heart it's easier to think about the eternal than it is to think about the temporal uh -huh. that's right out front. You know what I mean? It's right in front of me sometimes. It can be easier to, to neglect the temporal that's right in front of me and the pain and the injustice that people are experiencing because I've got my eyes focused on something that um, might feel bigger but also in some ways might feel easier. And God mm -hmm. doesn't always call us to the easier thing. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, I thank you for the both of those examples and the, the creativity I think you're bringing to how we go about, um, you know, being a part of resolving or, or addressing injustice in, as the church. So um, anything else you'd add? I don't want to cut you off. Nope, that's it. <laughs> well, I think this is I think this is super helpful, and I'm I'm sure the people at our fall conference uh, who heard your seminar benefited from it. I hope that our listeners who tune in do as well. I certainly did, and uh, I'm grateful for thinking about those different categories. We'll try and get some of these things in the description of the podcast uh, down at the bottom about the Bible Project video, um, maybe some examples of restorative justice uh, from the scriptures that Ellie mentioned, and uh, maybe a link to that hospital study that you mentioned as well, mm -hmm. and so. Um, Ellie, really grateful for your time. Thanks for being on the show with us. Thanks for uh, sharing, uh, you know, the seminar and the content. But also thanks for sharing your heart because it's clear that it, you're passionate about this. It's something you've given a lot of thought to. And so it's uh, to our benefit to get to hear from you. So thanks. Thanks for having me. Yep, you bet. Thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the 180 Podcast, a production of Crew in Southeast Ohio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like, a share, or leave an encouraging comment, and that will go a long way toward helping others hear about the podcast. The podcast isn't the only thing that we do. Whether you're a student living on campus or if you're still at home studying virtually, we'd encourage you to check us out on social media to hear more about what's going on. You can follow us on Instagram at crew at OU, or to learn more about who we are and what we do, head over to our website, crew at OU.org. We'd encourage you if you visit the site to complete our involvement form to get more connected to all the things that are happening. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday for another episode of the 180 Podcast.